after the end sermon? Yes. Matter of fact, we're going to be in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 24. So I hope you find your way to Joshua chapter 24. If you've got a Bible or a device with the Bible app or a device with internet connectivity that can get quickly a Bible app because I'd like for us all to be able to follow along together as we study God's Word and see what He has to say for us today. In this message that I titled, A New Day, A New Choice. And the choice, the question that Joshua calls us to over and over again in this passage is, will you serve the Lord? It's a special day for us. We don't have these tables set up every week. If you're here with us for the first time, we are celebrating our Covenant Sunday. It's a Sunday in which we take time to pause, take time to reflect, take time to renew the covenant by which we as a body, as a church, have agreed to function together. And New York Times best-selling author James Clear writes from a secular perspective, but he writes about how to live better, primarily by what he encourages as a focus on developing healthy habits. And so in his best-selling book, which is titled Atomic Habits, Clear observes the following. He says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person that you wish to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Now, I'd say that's a pretty powerful sort of way of thinking about how our choices to act impact our lives. If you took an inventory of your actions over the past year, for example, what sort of person would you say you've been casting your vote to become? Little choices can make a big difference. For example, you you may not want to struggle financially, but when you spend more money than you wisely should on a meal out, for example, or on some new gadget that you'd like to have, you're making a conscious decision. You're making a vote to increase your debt and your future financial heartache. A second plate of dessert at dinner probably doesn't seem all that malicious but if you say that you want to lose weight you're contradicting yourself with an action that casts a vote for your own weight gain comedian kevin nealon joked about the way many of us proceed with our decisions for a better life when he shared these words he said i'm on a strict running program i started yesterday and i've only missed one day so far We may say that we want to become one thing or another. We may intend to improve ourselves. But if we aren't consistent with our actions, then we shouldn't expect to see any progress. But on the positive side, you may feel like you don't know much about God. You may feel like you don't know much about the Bible. But each time you sit down to pray or each time you sit down to open and to read God's Word, each time you make a trip to a worship service like this one where God's Word is open and His truths are proclaimed, you are making an investment. You are making a vote for a richer relationship with Him. And so that leads me to ask then, what type of person do you want to become? 
And are the choices and the actions that you're taking, are the votes that you're casting consistently moving you toward the type of person that you want to become? In Joshua chapter 24, we encounter Joshua's final words to the people that he had led into the promised land. You see, Joshua was God's appointed leader of his people, the nation of Israel. He was the appointed leader who would guide those people into the promised land, the land that God had promised them long ago through Abraham, this land of Canaan. Moses had passed on the mantle of his leadership for that great nation to Joshua upon his own death. That's what God had commanded him to do. And Joshua had marched that great nation from the eastern side of the Jordan River across that river through the cities of Jericho and Ai and throughout all of Canaan. And by this point, when we come to the beginning of Joshua chapter 24, Joshua has led this people, God's people, his chosen people through seven years of war. He's led them through 23 years of settling into their new homeland. Walls had fallen. Altars had been built. The sun had stood still. And cities at this point had been well constructed. And now Joshua was somewhere near the age of he would be when he died, which was 110 years old. He's about to pass on to his heavenly reward. But he gathers together all Israel and their leaders to this city called Shechem so that he can give them one final heartfelt address, one final sermon to guide them for how they will conduct their lives once he has gone. Shechem, by the way, the city that they're gathering to was a city where Joshua's ancestor, Abraham, had heard a promise from God that his ancestors would inherit the very land, or that his descendants, I should say, would inherit the very land that now Joshua and the people were dwelling within. That was a promise God had given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And so Abraham built an altar to the Lord in that city back in Genesis 12. Later, Abraham's great-grandson, Jacob, who was also known as Israel, would build another altar here on this same area of land, here in this same city, after he had gone through this glad reunion with his brother Esau. Shechem was a city of worship. Shechem was a city where the Lord was revered. And so it became the nation's first capital city once Israel moved into the promised land. When Joshua called the people of Israel to that city, he called them to a hallowed city, a place of worship. And when he called them there, he offered them a choice for the new era that lay ahead of them, the new era of peace, the new era in which they were settled in what God had promised to them. So as we gather here today, a new era lies ahead of each and every one of us. A new year has rolled over. A new decade has begun. And it may not seem like a significant thing, 
But we began last year a, a new tradition of making the first Sunday of the year our Covenant Sunday. It's a day we set aside to choose to renew our commitments to the Lord, both in our membership, for those of us who are members, but also in taking the next step as it relates to our relationship with the church and our growth with Christ. And so we compel individuals, whether you're a member or not, to consider what's the next step for you when it comes to growing in Christ. How can this body, this church, be a part of that guidance for you? Because that's our heart. And as we contemplate the choices that lie before us today, it'll be helpful for us to study Joshua's example in the choice that he places before the nation of Israel. Because that's going to help us to inform the choices that we make on this day. So join me now in Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. If you're able, I'd ask that you might stand so that we can honor the reading of God's word together. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14. Now, therefore, Joshua's commanding the people. He says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up from out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And therefore, now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus 
it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now as Joshua calls the people of God together in this great passage of Scripture, it's a well-known passage of Scripture, as Joshua does that, as he calls them together, he calls for them to make a choice. And if you pay attention to the words of this passage, you won't be confused about the decision that he's calling for them to make. That choice can be summarized with his words here in verse 15. He says, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. He's compelling the nation of Israel to serve the Lord. In fact, this word serve appears 14 times in this passage. If you just look back through, you're going to see that word over and over again. And and the word of the Lord appears 16 times in this passage. So as Joshua prepares this people to face a new day, he makes it crystal clear that the most important choice that they could possibly make in this new day is the choice that is before them. It's the choice to serve the Lord. Now Moses had previously led Israel to make a similar choice. First at Mount Sinai, as the law was given in Exodus chapter 24, and then on the plains of Moab just before his death. Joshua 2, back in Joshua chapter 8, when the nation of Israel first entered the promised land, Joshua had called the people to make a similar choice. choice. He had reminded them of this same set of obligations that laid before this nation as he read to them the entire law of God in their hearing. Israel was constantly being called back to this same choice. And they were constantly being reminded of their duties, of their responsibilities before the Lord. And if the truth be told, we all need reminders to make new choices that will compel us to become the people that God wants us to be. And that's what I want to do for you today. I want to call you to make new choices that will compel you to be the people that God wants you to be. In fact, from Joshua's example in this passage, I want to share with you four keys to a choice to serve the Lord that is fitting of His people. And the first is this. Choose to serve the Lord with cherished reverence. Our passage today begins with the words, Now, therefore. Anytime you see that word, therefore, it's a, it's a healthy metric to think, all right, why, what is it therefore? What is that word therefore? Because that points us back to something that happens before this. So when we see now, therefore, in verse 14, that tells us that Joshua is now calling for the people to choose to serve the Lord because of something that happens before that passage. He's calling for them to make a decision that ought to be the natural result of what appears right before he calls them to make that decision. And what do we find in the words leading up to this passage? Well, Joshua has just spoken about God's gracious work. And he's talking about God's gracious work in the nation of Israel. How he called Abraham out of a land of pagan God worshipers. 
and, and set him apart, calling for his, his children, his descendants, to become a great nation. Not only that, he talks about how, how God had rescued the people, Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, from bondage in Egypt. Out of slavery, he brought them with great and miraculous plagues that were cast upon the Egyptians. And it was God who had led them into victory in this promised land. Joshua goes on to explain to them. So where they were now, the land that they were possessing, was nothing more than a gift of God's grace. They hadn't earned it. It wasn't because of their labors. And so God summarizes his gracious favor for the Israelites in verse 13 when he says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. In other words, God is telling this people, he's telling the nation of Israel, you don't deserve what you've got. You haven't earned any of this. I've given you what you do not deserve through my own strength. And you know, that's a summary of what grace is. That's a summary of what you can find in Christ. That's a summary of what so many of us have come to know in Him. Grace is when God generously gives us riches that we do not deserve. You see, there was nothing special about these Israelites that God should choose them. And yet He chose them anyway. And his grace in their past should have been all that they needed to serve him in the future. Having encountered his grace, they should have cherished him enough to obey his will for all of their lives. And friends, that's true for us as well. None of us deserves what God has done for us. We may not be currently living in cities that we didn't build, but friends, let me tell you, God has prepared a city for those of us who are in Christ. I'm talking about that heavenly city of God, that eternal home that Christ has gone to prepare for us. And we can go to that home. We can appear in the presence of a holy God, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us through His grace. You see, God so loved the world. God so loved you and God so loved me that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him might have everlasting life, might enter that holy city of God. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, left his heavenly home to become a lowly man like you and me so that he could give us the grace of God. Though we were enemies of God. He died the death that we deserve. He purchased the peace that we could not afford through his own blood, which has been shed for us. And now he has conquered death by rising victorious over the grave, and he offers each and every one of us the opportunity to do the same if we will but yield our lives to him by faith. So, friends, this is good news. This is news that we ought to cherish. And as we cherish that news of God's grace in Christ, that ought to drive us to serve the Lord. 
And so Joshua says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. That word translated fear in the New American Standard Bible could also be translated as stand in awe. Or it could be translated respect. Or it could be translated revere. Which is why I compel you to serve the Lord with a cherished reverence. Only God could take a wretched sinner like you or like me and make us clean. So stand in awe of him. Revere him. Honor him. Live with a fear that causes you to revere him and obey him. And do you know how you can lose your walk with God? Do you know how you can get off track? Get too casual. Get careless. Lose the awe. Lose the wonder of what God has done for you in his grace. Lose the reverence. Lose the fear of the Lord. Then you'll find yourself choosing something other than the Lord to serve. And so, yes, choose to serve the Lord with a cherished reverence. That's the first key to a choice, to serve the Lord that is fitting for his people. Here's the second. Choose to serve the Lord with a courageous resolve. Joshua shows himself to be a courageous leader in verses 14 through 21. Not only does he compel the people to fear the Lord and serve him, but he sets the example for them. He knows that he can't make the choice for the people. They have to make the decision on their own. But he can make the choice for one individual, and that is himself. And he can make the choice to lead his own family. And so Joshua serves the Lord with a courageous resolve when he says, Choose this day whom you will serve. But then he also goes on to say, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know, that's something that is missing in our day and age. Joshua makes it so crystal clear here. Even if nobody else serves the Lord, he and his family will make the choice to serve the Lord. And friends, we live in a day that so desperately needs Christians who will stand strong with courageous resolve to say, I don't care what anybody else is doing. I am going to serve the Lord. We especially, especially need husbands and fathers who will live with that sort of resolve to stand strong and to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because I'm convinced that one of the greatest tragedies of our era is men who simply will not step up to the plate. We have far too many men who are serving something other than the Lord. And those who could benefit from their godly example of love and leadership are left instead with an empty void. And so for the men who are gathered here today, I ask you, will your house serve the Lord? If you are a husband and a father, do you know that you will give your household the greatest likelihood of serving the Lord if you will do the same, if you will set the example? If you yourself will step up to serve the Lord with courageous resolve, then you will give your family its greatest likelihood of success. Because studies have shown that the highest likelihood that a whole family will live their life for the Lord is found in families where the father takes 
the lead. And yet we live in a society where far too many men refuse to step up to the plate. Some of you refuse to make a covenant with the woman that you are having sex with. So you haven't taken ownership of your own house. If you won't even take ownership of your own house, you're showing yourself to be the greatest of all cowards when it comes to your resolve to lead and to love the way that God has designed. Because courageous resolve begins when covenant commitment that God has designed for you called marriage is entered into. And if you're sexually involved outside of that covenant, then you're quite simply worshiping the idol of your own sexual satisfaction and refusing to show the love of Christ for his bride that marriage calls for us to display. And so if that's you, then God through his word is calling you today. Step up to the plate Establish your covenant already. Take ownership of your household so that you can lead it with courageous resolve. I had a high school teacher and a football coach who once had this longtime girlfriend when we were playing football in high school that he would not marry. And when we asked him why he wasn't married, he said, why buy the cow when you can have the milk for free? You know, that, that seemed humorous at the time when I was a, a teenager. But now that, now that I'm older, now that I'm a pastor, I, I just want to tell you, friends, there are no cows among God's children. That woman that you take for granted, she is not a cow. She's an image bearer of the almighty God. Treat her with respect. And ladies, if he's still treating you like a cow and he only wants the caresses without the covenant, then I say leave that coward out in the field and go find a man who will serve the Lord with courageous resolve. And so I urge you, courageously resolve to serve the Lord sincerely. That's what Joshua says in verse 14. Serve him with sincerity. In fact, When the people first respond, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God, in verse 18. You know, we might expect Joshua, if hearing those words, the people are saying, we also will serve the Lord. We would expect that to be music to Joshua's ears, right? We'd expect, all right, you got the message. Let's move along to the next thing. But no, that's not what Joshua does. Instead, he tells them in verse 19, you will not be able to serve the Lord. That is, Joshua is challenging the sincerity of these people they were trying to make a shallow commitment but god deserves more than that and many people have resolved to get in shape for example as the new year has rolled around for lots of folks that means they've decided to join a local gym but statistics show that a good number of them are not sincere in their commitment comedian lisa landry quips that a gym is just a pe class that you pay to skip and statistics really do back that up in an article titled 13 things gyms won't tell you readers digest leads in with this line from gym workers we count on you not to show up the experts then explain that about 50 percent of those who begin an exercise routine quit within six months and that's good because the gyms they're quitting are not designed to handle their actual membership if everyone did work out those places would be overcrowded and they would be unusable 
And friends, God isn't calling you to that sort of shallow commitment. If this church is going to maximize its mission to multiply God's glory on the earth, then we must be able to count on every member to show up regularly. Satan doesn't mind you making a choice to serve the Lord so long as you're not really sincere in that choice. So courageously resolve to serve the Lord sincerely. Also courageously resolve to serve the Lord scripturally. Sincerity alone will not suffice. Joshua compels these people in verse 14 to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Friends, we discover God's truth scripturally. That is, we discover God's truth through his holy Bible, his revealed word to us, the scriptures that he's given us that reveal to us these timeless truths. And these two things, these two things must be held in balance. We must serve the Lord in sincerity, and we must serve Him in truth. It's not enough just to be sincere. I see many people who claim to be serving God, but they're clearly contradicting His Word. They're as sincere as sincere can be, but they're not scriptural. That is... One reason why we have so many churches who sincerely, and I I truly believe that they sincerely love their neighbors, and so they advocate for gay marriage. They say they love their neighbors, and I sincerely believe that they do, but the problem is that their love is not rooted in Scripture. Because God's Word is so clear that homosexuality is a sin. And so loving someone in a way that condones what God condemns is not true service of him. Now look, we're all sinners, okay? Whether you're attracted to someone of the same sex or not, we are all in need of God's grace. We are all in need of his forgiveness and his transformation. But when we begin to normalize and to accept and to declare right and good what god declares sinful we distance ourselves from him and we lose our courageous resolve but it's possible to go to the other extreme as well i know individuals who know a lot of bible but who lack sincerity they don't share god's heart And sincerity is no substitute for truth, just as truth is no substitute for sincerity. If you worship the Lord in sincerity without truth, then you'll become a fanatic. If you worship Him in truth without sincerity, you'll become a legalist. And so I compel you to courageously resolve to serve the Lord sincerely and scripturally, and also courageously resolve to serve the Lord singularly. Jesus make, Joshua here makes it clear that the choice is a necessary choice. It's not possible to serve other gods and to serve the Lord at the same time. That's why he commands these people to put away the gods which their fathers had served in verse 14. And to choose for themselves who they would serve in verse 15. But you know, Joshua didn't poll the audience. Like he didn't pass out surveys to figure out our, where should we go. Which one of these should we choose No, he made it clear that if I have to, I'll stand alone. 
me and my family are going to serve the Lord. I don't care what the rest of you do. Is essentially what Joshua is saying here. He has courageously resolved at this point to serve the Lord singularly, if that be necessary. And you know, sometimes churches have to stand alone when their denomination won't. Sometimes families have to stand alone and leave churches because their church won't do what's right. Some people say, I can't go to another church. My, my granny's buried in the cemetery back there. Well, you know, with the direction that a lot of churches are going in our day, granny would get up and leave too if she could, okay? Sometimes even when his or her family won't stand, an individual has to stand and stand alone. And choosing to serve the Lord requires a courageous resolve. Sincerely, scripturally, and if necessary, singularly. That's the second key to a choice to serve the Lord that is fitting for his people. Here's the third. Choose to serve the Lord with continual repentance. The last bit of verse 14 in this passage says, Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. You know, that's interesting. Joshua is commanding the people to get rid of the gods of their fathers that they served before they came to the promised land, even the gods that go all the way back to the time when they were in slavery in Egypt. Now, we would expect that those gods would be gone by now. Israel has been going through wilderness wandering for 40 years until that entire generation has passed away. And yet these people are still holding on to some remnant of the idols of their past. Idols of their fathers. Those idols, they've given up multiple times by this point in their history. But apparently those idols, those false gods, keep springing up in the lives of this nation. And you know, if you've walked with Jesus for very long, you're going to know that the Christian life is no different. While we await our eventual glorification, when Christ returns, we live with bodies that are still fallen. We live with the real struggle of a fallen nature. And for every one of us, there are those hangover sins, those residual temptations that have burrowed themselves deep down within our hearts. And if we're not careful, those old gods will come back with a vengeance in our lives and that's why we must practice continual repentance we must constantly put away the gods of our past and never get too comfortable in our sinful habits or explain them away as something natural that we should not be at war against you see as we grow in christ as we serve him as we learn more about him we learn more about the hidden sins in our lives as well And we discover more that we need to repent of. We grow in our sanctification through this process of continually repenting, continually taking in God's truth, learning what's wrong, and choosing to turn away from that to pursue Him. And I don't know about any of you, but I've done far more repenting since I've been saved than I ever did when God first saved me. And that ought to be true of every sinner saved by grace. When the old gods of our past 
the gods of our fathers, when those old gods rear their ugly heads, we must be careful to put them away. And you want to know how we win that victory? We cannot and we will not win that victory alone. We must trust in the Lord. We must cry out for his help. We must confess the wretches that we are and cling to the power of his transforming grace because he, my friends, makes all the difference. And that happens in the little choices. That happens in the little votes that we take about who we want to be. If we want to be those who follow the Lord, those who serve him, then those little votes, those little decisions will be the things which put away the sin which so frequently ensnares us. So take the next vote about what you want to be because of what he calls you to be. Choose to serve the Lord with continual repentance. That's the third key to a choice of serving the Lord that is fitting of his people. Here's the fourth one. Choose to serve the Lord with conscious reminders. You see, when the people of Israel came around to a sincere choice to serve the Lord, they said in verse 24, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. And then we read in verse 25 that Joshua made a covenant with those people on that day. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is just a solemn pledge and a steadfast agreement. And this was a covenant that was made by the people that they would serve the Lord. They had made their choice. And Joshua wanted them to remember that choice. Joshua wouldn't be around to remind them much longer. He was near the end of his life. But verse 26 tells us that he wrote these words in the book of the law of God. That is the words that we're reading here today. And then Joshua took a large stone and he set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. A prominent place, a place where everyone would see this large stone. And he told the people something interesting in verse 27 here. That's where he says, behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord which you spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. This was a listening stone. It had heard what the people had said they were going to do. It had heard the covenant that they had made. Joshua set this stone up. It was to be a conscious reminder of the people. The stone was a witness. Now, this stone didn't have eyes. This stone didn't have ears. But it was in the hearing of all of these people, and it was in the hearing of all the words that they had spoken. And so Joshua set up this stone and it became a conscious reminder to the people of the covenant that they had made with the Lord. So every time Israel passed by this stone, they would be driven to remembrance. They would be driven to accountability. They would be driven to conviction. And friends, let me just say that we all need listening stones in our lives. We all need conscious reminders of who we are and whose we are. When I see the ring on my finger, for example, I'm reminded of the covenant that I have with my wife. When I see the ordination certificate on my office wall, I'm reminded of my calling to serve the Lord in pastoral ministry. 
Some of you have a picture or a bookmark or a testimony that you've written down. Some of you keep a journal of the decisions that you've made as you read through the Word of God about how you're going to pursue Him. We all need listening stones to remind us of our commitments to God as well as His commitment to us. And so if you don't have those listening stones in your life now, I encourage you to find ways to build those in. Find ways to record what God is calling you to do and the commitments that you've made. Find ways to look back and see how he's worked in your life. And really, a prayer journal can be a very excellent way to do that. But we're going to have some of those listening stones here as we close our service today. And I'm going to ask you to consider the next step. What's your next step? What should your next step with the Lord be? And I'm going to encourage you to use these couple of sheets of paper that you see laid out on these two tables up front so that you can use those as conscious reminders, listening stones, something that you're making a visible record of that you can return back to. The first sheet, the smaller one, ties in with our vision as a church of how we want individuals to know kind of a roadmap of how they can take the next step in their walk with Christ. And I want all of us to ask the question, what's the next step in my walk with Christ? And that's what this little sheet, the smaller sheet, is intended to do for you here. To guide you, kind of, what what would the next step be in my life? And so that's a question that you can ask, whether you're a first-time visitor or whether you are a long-time member here in this church. And it would be a blessing to me, I'll say, if every one of you were to feel led to fill out one of these sheets as you consider the conscious decision to take the next step in serving Christ. Are you ready to take the next step? Let me remind you what our vision is. We desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be found, formed, fired, filled, flowing. That's what's listed on the banners we have hung up here high. Think of the analogy of pottery, where where a potter goes out and first he finds the clay that he's going to use to make his vessel. And then he forms that clay into the shape that he wants it to be. And then he sticks it into the kiln where it is fired, it is firmed, it is made ready for use. And then he fills it with whatever that thing was designed to hold to begin with. But the ultimate goal is that it would be flowing. It would be used in some way. It would be emptying its contents in the service of the potter. And Christ, my friends, is our great potter. He is the one who molds us. He wants to form you into a vessel for his use, no matter where you are in your walk with him. But we have a particular progression in mind. First, we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be found and invited to encounter God here. That is, we want to see people progressing from the community, those who are just gathered around us, to the crowd who are gathered here with us in worship. So as you kind of look at this sheet and think about what the next step could be if you're moving in that found stage, you would see that as I take the next step for Christ, I want to, first of all, start attending this church regularly. Uh, That could be a very credible sort of way of moving in this path that we have in our vision. Secondly, we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be formed into a new vessel by God's transforming power. So here we want to see people progressing, not just from the crowd that's gathered on a regular worship service, but to those who are changed because they're applying God's word. 
So on the sheet, as you think about how I can take the next step in my growth for Christ, you can say, I want to start attending a small group Bible study and fellowship. And you've even got a place here to kind of look across the the list of groups that we have provided there and say, is there one that, that fits my needs in this time? You can mark yes or no. Or you might say, I want to entrust my life to Jesus, which is ultimately how his word transforms us in a way that enables him to transform us in so many other ways. And so that would be a next step that some of you may be ready to take. Thirdly, we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be fired into a solid vessel that is firm, committed, ready for his use. And so we want to see progress, people progressing now from not just being changed, but now to being committed by partnering with the church. So on the sheet, as I take the next step in growing for Christ, I want to be, you might say, I want to be baptized or I want to become a member of this church. Then we want to move on such that we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be filled with truth and purpose for God's glory. That is, we want to see people moving and progressing from being committed to now being commissioned by discovering and using their spiritual gifts in some sort of ministry. So, again, on the sheet, as I take the next step in my growth for Christ, you might say I want to serve others in a new ministry, serve with others in a new ministry, or be discipled by a more mature Christian. Then we, want it, we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be flowing God's riches into the lives of others. That is, we want to see people now progressing from the commission stage to ultimately being carriers of the gospel to the world. And so you might think, well, the next step for me, if I'm moving through that flowing stage, would be that I might now choose to take the next step to disciple a few less mature Christians or to share the gospel with my community through evangelism. Or to share the gospel with the unreached people of the world through missions. Or to teach or to lead a new ministry. And there's even an option here. Maybe you're seeing that God truly does compel us to serve him. But you just don't know which direction to go. So the final option here would be, I want to take the next step. But I need some guidance. And I want to encourage you, that's an okay place to be. Because not all of us know what the next step should be for us. And we want to be here to love you, to encourage you, to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so I would encourage you, if that's where you are, take one of these sheets and fill that out. And and I don't want you to check every one of these boxes. Just think of one or two of these maybe. What's the next step for me as I seek to pursue the Lord through my engagement with this church? And so I urge you, whether you're currently a member or not, to use the time in which we're going to be renewing our covenants and our commitments that we'll share together here in just a few moments to consider and to commit to taking the next step in your walk with Christ through this church. And the final thing I want to give our attention to on this day is our church covenant. Now, some of you haven't come from churches where there are church covenants, so let me just give you a little bit of background about why we do that. We give individuals who desire to be a part of this fellowship a covenant that they must agree to because it raises the level of expectations when it comes to being members of of this church in many churches you could just walk down the aisle when the invitation is given and then you could walk right out the back door just after that was over and you would never be seen again and you know what you would be called in that church a lifetime member Because that's the model that a lot of churches 
work through. But that's not our model. Likewise, in many churches, it doesn't matter whether you believe what the church believes or not. It doesn't matter how you live your life or what you are treasuring. You may not even need to give testimony that you believe in Jesus. For some places, all it takes is a desire and you're in. But our church covenant and our membership class call for our members to take ownership of the beliefs that we hold in common as a body. Each of us must pledge ourselves to abide by this common set of commitments. And I know this document isn't perfect, but it's a good set of principles to guide us by, to organize ourselves with. And each one of these principles comes from the Word of God. We make that so clear in our membership class. What we've encountered in God's Word today is a vivid picture of God's people coming together to establish a covenant together that they will live in accordance with His Word. And the covenant we remind you of today has that same sort of intent. And so like Joshua, with all the people gathered, let me remind you of the covenant that we're calling our members to renew today. Here it is. As members of New Vision Fellowship, we each covenant together to the following. One, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. Number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. Number three, I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, and by developing a servant's heart. Number four, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. So we're going to have a moment of prayer, and I want you just to, to pray and say, God, if there's a next step that you would have me to take, would you guide me into what that is? And really, I think each of us, if we're not taking a step, if we're not moving in the direction of God, we're falling away from Him. So I hope all of you will give this earnest consideration. And so we're going to pray, and then after this prayer, we're just going to have a time where you can come. If you're a member, you can take one of these sheets, and you can fill out if you want to renew your membership for the year that is 2020. If you're here and you're just visiting with us, or you're here and you've been here for a while, but you haven't yet joined the church, take one of those smaller sheets. If God is leading you, to take the next step, and you want to pursue him in growth. And I, again, I would hope that everyone would see an opportunity to grow in that way. So would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I just pray that you give resolve to our hearts, that we, like the nation of Israel, might stand forth and say that we will serve the Lord. God, help us to be a body that's not about serving ourselves, that's not focused on ourselves, but is indeed seeking to honor and to serve you, Lord. And that will flow outside of these walls. That will flow into the community. That will flow into the lives of those whom you love and whom you desire to reach and those whom you desire to bring a positive impact in their lives. So, Father, just give us a heart to live this out, to be a church on covenant for Christ, to be serving you, even if no other individual or no other um, group might be doing the same sort of thing or let us live with the steadfast resolve that says even if it was just us left that we would be a house that would serve the lord god help us to pursue this help us to know you help us to find your rich grace that will compel us to live in this way we pray it in jesus name amen